Well, last week, here was our point. Only those willing to lose their life will actually get into the game of sharing the gospel. That's what we said. That was my challenge to you. That was, that was the rub for us. And the question was, are you willing to lose your life? And that's a phrase Jesus used. And in the context of Jesus using that, that question, that challenge, those who want to save their life, you're actually going to lose it in the end. Those of you who, who will give up your life, you'll let go of your life, you'll let go of it, uh, that it is yours. Those of you who will lose your life and give it over to Christ, that it would be his life living through you, those guys, ironically, seemingly, they, they gain it all in the end. It's this, it's this grand divine swap. In the context of those challenges on Jesus' part in the Gospels, he, you can go to a couple different of the Gospels to see those words of Christ. I went back and I read those this week, and in each, in each instance, it's in the context of us being bold enough to share the Gospel ourselves. It's, it's us having the willingness, come what may, no matter what the implications of our sharing are, it's the context of, are we going to open our mouths? Are we going to speak? That Jesus comes and he says, those who want to save their life, you're actually going to lose it in the end. Those of you who will, who will lose your life, you'll give it up. You'll quit clinging to your plans, your goals, your dreams. You'll actually gain it in the end. And then comes the famous verse, right? What, what does it profit a man? <laughs> what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? But to lose or, check this out, the word is literally forfeit. Your life in the end. While you're gaining everything here, while you're accumulating everything here, while you're accomplishing everything here, while you're getting as comfortable as you can here, he says, you are in essence at the same time putting what you have in pockets that are that are cut off at the bottom. They have holes. You're not you're not saving anything. You're not gaining anything. You're losing it all. You don't even realize it. What does it profit a man to gain everything here but to lose his to lose his soul? Now, the further context of those passages is this. I thought this was interesting. It's in the context of him saying, hey, listen, are you going to be willing to go out there and speak for me? He says, they're going to hate me. They're going to hate you. The, that, all of that comes after the question that he asked the disciples, who are people saying that I am? Very interesting. And the disciples, they answer, and some are saying, you know, some are saying Elijah, some are saying, you know, one of the Old Testament prophets. Um, you know, there's a variety of answers. And then Jesus, interestingly enough, he pinpoints Peter and says, but who do you say that I am? I mean, he gets very personal. Who do, you, who do you think I am? As if to say, who you believe that I am will change everything. And Peter answers, well, you're the Christ of God. Literally, you're the Messiah of God. And you remember what Jesus says? He says, you didn't come up with that on your own. It's a great answer, but you didn't come up with that on your own. And he said, actually, you know what? You probably don't want to share that with a whole lot of people right now because actually they're going to want to take me out. I'm going to my death. That information right there will get you in trouble. Hold on to it for a moment because, because I'm going somewhere that you don't really realize where I'm going. And here, here's now what he says. He says, you guys got to be willing to open your mouth for me. What I've told you in secret, you got to be willing to proclaim on the mountaintop. Evangelist, it's, it's, are you going to speak for me? Who am I? Are you going to are you going to stick with me? Are you going to deny me? 
or proclaim me before men. And then, and then the crux. Listen, if it's about you holding on to your life and your plans, you're probably not going to do that. But if you see me for who I truly am, if you get that I am the Messiah of God, if you get that I am the Christ of God, then even in the hard times, even when oppression comes, because it's going to come, and he was very honest and open with them. He says, you're going to be willing to speak for me. You won't deny me. And you're going to gain your life because you're willing to hand it over to me. So back to last week's point. Only those willing to lose their lives will actually get into this game of sharing the gospel. This business, this primary business of the church. In time and space, in history, the part that we play for the glory of God is extending the grace that has been extending to us, taking the light into a dark world. That's what we do. That's our, that's our primary business in this life. Will we do it? When Jesus said you must love your life to gain it, he was giving life and death terms to express the level of self-abandonment or kingdom commitment that was expected of those who would follow him. That's why such drastic terminology of life and death. It's that big of a deal. Are you going to be consumed by your own priorities or are you going to be consumed with kingdom priorities to follow me? In other words, it would be impossible to follow Christ while clinging to all of our old plans and all of our old priorities. You can't really have both. Some of you have been in the military, right? Um, Eric, you were in the military. Uh, how many suitcases did you take with you when you shipped off to boot camp? Zero? Oh, okay. Uh, who, who else was in the military? Anybody else in the military? Did you take any suitcases with you? No, no suitcases. No suitcases. Any suitcases, Corey? No suitcases. Why no suitcases? I mean, did you, did you take a, you at least took a shaving kit, right? You took like, your, your necessities? No, no toothbrush? You didn't brush? What, what, why not? You know the answer to this, right? You know where I'm going. You're smart people. You don't take that stuff going in the military. Why? Old things go away. Behold, all things become new. Your soldier in the army of the United States military now, they give you underwear. You don't even have to take any. They give you a toothbrush, the toothbrush they want you to have. They give you the toothpaste, the kind of toothpaste they want you to have. It'd be ridiculous, right, to think about somebody going in the military and packing all their bags. Like it's, you know, college and they're going to hang out in the dorm room somewhere. You know, Vic carrying in his big screen TV going into the Navy, right? That, that doesn't, that's nonsense. It's foolishness, right? We, we understand that. It doesn't make sense. All things pass away. All things become new. Everything changes. Life is altered. Including your focus, including your perspective, including your priorities, including your plans, your goals, your aspirations. What makes you comfortable? What makes you happy? All that changes. Um, you know, when a, when, a, when a child is born, clarity comes, isn't it? When a child is born, there's a certain clarity, isn't there? It's like the whole world stops on the day that your, your child is born. And everything else that is going on outside of the hospital or wherever it is that you've had your child, it just seems less important, doesn't it? Everything slows down. The things that consumed you the day before, they're not as consuming to you anymore. The things that seemed, as, uh, seemed seemingly important to you the day before, they're just not that important that day. What is important? That life, that new life, it's a, it's a, it's a changing moment for you. 
something about the, the birth of a child that just stops everything and it causes us to eliminate the things that aren't important, at least for a short moment, right? That's what new life does. Death does this as well, doesn't it? When a loved one dies, we get this, don't we? Adam, put that video up. Some of you saw some of these images throughout the week. You followed them as I did. Watch this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know about you. I was. I watched. That was the first clip I saw. And I. Uh, the, the first thought that occurred to me was, how do I just keep going today? I mean, how do I go about my business, knowing that that is a reality for someone? Like, do you have that? Do you ever have those thoughts, like in in, in moments of life or death? But how can I how can I continue on doing whatever I'm involved in at the very moment? I, I went to Walmart this week to pick up a couple things, and um, there was a newspaper headlines of uh, the devastation in Haiti, and uh, the picture, the front page picture. I don't know what paper it was. It was a it was a young girl, probably 12, sitting on a curb, and uh, there was a um, a young boy, probably five. And it struck me, um, as it often does in situations like this, that that child was probably the exact age of my oldest son. And as I saw that that, that little boy, he was sitting there, um, just shorts, covered with dust. His head was scraped. And he wasn't wasn't crying. (laughs) He wasn't crying, you could tell. But he was extremely sad. And I don't know if that was his sister. It may not have been. She may not have known him at all. And, I, and I, I'm standing in the line and I'm about to cry in Walmart, you know, with my silly whatever I was getting in Walmart. It was so unimportant. I'm standing there and the lady's waiting on me because she's done with the guy in front of me. And I'm looking at this, this kid who could be my son if it would have happened here. And, and I'm thinking he, does, he may not even know where his parents are. He may not know this girl. He may not know anyone. And here is, here's my Grady sitting on the curb. 
And his lip was just sticking out. And, you know, it almost make, made me chuckle, but it, it, it brought tears to my eyes. I'm, I'm thinking, well, how do I keep, how do I even, how do I check out? How do I keep going here? You know, matters of life and death bring us that clarity, don't they? I don't know if those items cause you to wonder how, how you continue to go about your business. And then I thought, I thought of um, the disciples. I thought of the disciples who witnessed both life and death in, in Christ. Following this man, saying that they would give up everything for him, to follow him. They would let everything else go, that he would be their life. And they follow him all the way to his arrest and his beatings and his crucifixion. And then, a few days later, he supernaturally appears to them. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's been reborn. Both, both death and life, both joy and pain. I imagine the clarity that must have most assuredly come to these men and women. You think they went fishing after that? I mean, you think after the, after the death and the resurrection of the Christ of God... That you say, hey, guys, y'all want to go fishing? You want to hang out, get some fish? That, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would be odd. But in fact, uh, one of the odder passages in Scripture is just that. At the resurrection of Jesus, he appears to the disciples three times. The first time was the night of Easter. The second time was eight days later. And then some days after that, he appears to them as they are out on the boat fishing. And I, I, I just, I went back and I read that and I thought, how do, you, how do you just go fishing after following Christ to the cross and then him appearing to you supernaturally? And then the next passage is Peter and the other guys are going fishing. How does that happen? How does that work in our hearts? That we so easily just fall back into whatever we were doing previously. Look at John 20. I want you to see some of this. John 20, we'll pick up in verse 19. Mary has come back and told the disciples that Jesus is not in the tomb. And she actually ran into him. She thought he was the gardener, but he was not the gardener. And uh, he says, hey, go tell the guys that I'm alive. She runs back. She tells them. We find now the disciples, they're hiding out. They're behind locked doors for fear for their lives because they have been marked men as followers of Christ. You remember, you remember Peter at the arrest of Jesus? Hey, weren't you with this guy? What, weren't you with Jesus? No, not me. Not me. I don't, I don't know the man. So now they're behind locked doors. For fear that uh, those who have killed the Christ might be coming after them. Then verse 19 says that Jesus just shows up in the room. Kind of abruptly. As they're behind locked doors. Hiding out. Afraid. Kind of huddled together is the picture you get here. Jesus just supernaturally appears. And so forget about the fear that they've had for their lives. Right? They're already on edge. Now you've got real life paranormal activity going on in the room. Just all of a sudden, he doesn't, you know, it's not a dead man 
knocking on the door. Hey, I'm alive again. It's just, pow, hey, there's Jesus, right? And, and look at the first thing that Jesus said, because it's pretty smart, right? When you just show up supernaturally in a room after you've been, you've been crucified in front of these very people, what's the first thing you might want to say, right? Peace. Because a dead guy standing in the room is a disturbing thing in the moment. Maybe it was peace because the, uh, the disciples were also in fear of their life. Peace was probably the right place to start, wasn't it? Peace. Not to mention that this is the God-man in their presence. The next uh, verse says that he quickly holds out his hands and he shows them the scars. He shows them his side as if to convince them and at the same time calm them. And once they pull themselves together, look what happens. Their fear morphs into pure joy, doesn't it? Their fear morphs into pure joy. And when he had said this, verse 20, he showed them both his hands and his side. Disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Often in situations of uh, great tragedy, you find yourself just wanting to wake up and um, hope that it corrects itself in hopes that what you thought had happened rocked your world that has devastated you it, that it just goes away right you've been in that been in that situation where you're just saying I, i've got to be dreaming i've got to be dreaming this couldn't have happened how did we go from our life being on track and everything seemed normal and we we're just going about our business and now and now this and now 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 who i thought was the christ he's gone and you got to believe that they're sitting there thinking how, how did this happen Confused, not, not knowing what to do. Imagine now that these guys get their wish. Their, their worst fear has now been undone. In a moment. Everything wrong is now right again. In a moment they go from devastation to elation. Yeah? That, that's the picture here. The worst is seeming... It's been undone. Here's, here's the Christ. He's standing in our midst. And their fear turns into rejoicing. And then Jesus says something I think is easily overlooked. He says the same thing he said to begin with. Hey, peace. Now, it's not peace here because they're still afraid. That, you know, maybe the Jews are breaking in. This guy just appeared supernaturally in the room. It's not, it's not fear because of who is this. It's, it's peace for their joy. They're rejoicing, right? They're elated. Jesus is alive. This is the kicker. Wouldn't you imagine that the reaction of Jesus to their rejoicing would have been high fives and hugs? Yeah, <laughs> victory, high fives and hugs for everybody. 
peace, guys. What is the peace for now? This peace may be uh, what you would call a simmer down peace. I think I think it's a peace that uh, communicates I've got good news, but I've also got what you may consider as bad news. It's a I got to give you the rest of the story, guys, kind of peace. Look at the very next thing that he says. So the father has sent me, so I send you. So the father has sent me, so I send you. The father had sent the son into the darkness as the light. And now Jesus says, you got to walk the same road. Now, that sounds real good in the resurrection moment. But these guys are coming afresh off of a crucifixion moment. So it's, it's all well and good that Jesus is alive. I, I mean, I had, I had front row seats to the cross, however. So as the Father sent you, so he sent me. Surely that doesn't include all the rest of the, you know, that's just from victory on, right? And Jesus kind of, he brings peace to the moment of even rejoicing. Because I imagine, right, I imagine if it were me, I'd be thinking, great, victory. He's going to set everything right. He's going to go wipe out the Romans. Everything's going to be cool now. Victory to the Jews. You know, we're all going to be kings and princes. And Jesus is still teaching them about what his true purpose actually is. What the real thing that is going on in life and death is. You know, they had this one vision of what life was about and, you know, what what success should be and what victory should look like, etc. And Jesus is still trying to shape their hearts into what life and victory and success and all that is. And it struck me that that's exactly what he's continuing to do with me and us as believers. He's continually having to teach us what in the world is going on. What is he doing in this life? It's amazing how fickle humanity can be. Why is it that we can go so easily from emotion to emotion or committedness to uncommittedness, faithfulness to unfaithfulness? Why is it that we are so temporal, so short-sighted, so self-involved, even in the midst of the miraculous? Jesus has appeared. You remember our look at Elijah a couple of weeks ago? He went from calling fire down out of heaven to hiding in a cave, asking God to let it be the end. Jesus comes back for a second visit. Doesn't really tell us how that visit ends up. Comes back eight days later because apparently Thomas is not there. And the guys go and they tell Thomas, hey, we we ran into Jesus. And he says, listen, unless I see the guy uh, for myself, I'm not going to believe it. Eight days later, you get the second appearance of a resurrected, born again, New life Jesus in the flesh to the disciples. Thomas sees him. You get the famous proclamation, confession of Thomas, my Lord and my God. He recognizes who this man is, who this God man is. And then the passage goes on and it says that some days later, we're not sure when, he's going to run into the disciples again. And this is the passage that just blows me away. Twice now. These guys have seen the risen Jesus. If you didn't look at the rest of the book of John, what would you think they'd be about? What would you think they'd be doing? I mean, this is life and death stuff here. Surely there's been some clarity brought into the moment. Surely things have been, have been made 
obvious to them about what this life is all about. Surely they're going to be about the business of the kingdom, right? And, it, and here, here's what we find. That Peter says to the guys in chapter 21, verse 3, Hey, I'm going fishing. Anybody else want to go? I don't know if that strikes anyone else as odd. Twice they've seen a supernatural appearing of a resurrected God-man. And we find Peter the fisherman turned fisher of men back fishing for fish. As if, as if nothing has happened. Question of the day, question for today is, how is it that we keep finding ourselves back in the boat, each of us? And we can't put all this on Peter. We can't put all last week on Paul. Uh, how, do we, how do we so quickly find ourselves back in the boat? I mean, do you realize that in John 21, where Jesus finds Peter and the rest of the guys, is the exact place Jesus found Peter at the start of this whole thing? Yeah? If you go back to Matthew 4, I think it's 23. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, same place. Here in 21, it's called, the, uh, called something different. It's the same, same, same lake. Jesus is right back to where he started from. I don't know if that, I think, I think that says something to us. It's convicting to me. How often am I right back in the same place I started from, seemingly, as far as my plans, my purposes, my desires, my goals, my aspirations? How is it that a resurrected Jesus now on the third occurrence finds this guy right back where he found him to begin with, where he called him out of the water and says, listen, guys, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He's right back on the Sea of Galilee, right back in the boat, right back where he started from. If you notice back in uh, John 21, verse 15. You know the story here. I'm not going to go into all of it. It's not my point today. But the guys come back in. Peter, actually, he sees that this is Christ on the shore. He jumps out of the boat. He's always the ambitious one, right? He's always the one going hard after the Lord. He swims back to shore. The other guys come back to shore. They hadn't caught anything, mind you. Jesus yells out to him, hey, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Throw the, throw the net on the other side. Try that. I'll... I hope you catch fish. And they're full. It's full. It's full to the point where it should have broken, but it didn't break. So those guys drag it in. Peter runs in to get to Jesus first. It's always been his way. Sits down. Jesus already got some fish there cooking, some bread. And you get the story. You've heard it preached a number of times if you've come up in the church. And I won't go into the specifics of the Greek Peter, do you love me? Agape, phileo, phileo, agape. I won't go into all that. You know the story. Would you notice, though, that uh, Jesus calls him by his human, earthly name here. So not only does he find him back on the boat in the same lake he found him in to begin with, but now after all this, he's back in the boat, same lake he found him in to begin with, and he's now Simon again. He's not Peter the rock. Jesus doesn't use the name he gave him. 
as if to say, why are, why are you back to the why are you back to what you were? And uh, I don't know, guys, uh, I think it was Tozer. I know I've heard Swindoll say it. They said the problem with living sacrifices, the whole picture of Romans 12, 1, that we are to be living sacrifices, we're to sacrifice our life, we're to give up our life, place our life on the altar that it might be used, consumed by God. Uh, I think it was Tozer who said the problem with living sacrifices is they continue to crawl off the altar. What is it about us? You know, we're, we're going into this last part of our re-envisioning series. We're, we're, we're here talking about evangelism. And last week I really didn't talk to you about evangelism. This week I'm really not talking to you about evangelism. Because, again, only those who are willing to lose their life will actually be about the business of sharing the gospel. So the question continues to be for me, and I can't get away from it yet to teach you about the theology of the gospel. We'll get there. The, the question continues to be for me. And the challenge for you is, how is it that we so quickly get back to our own business? How is it that we could so, so joyfully sing our songs to the Lord here in this place and then go right back to our, our own thing, Monday through Saturday? Living for ourselves, focusing on ourselves, maintaining our own comforts, our own plans and priorities. How, how is that? How is it that these guys... See a resurrected Jesus. What is it about humanity that, that it takes now a third encounter with the risen God-man? And him saying to you, do you really love me the way you said you loved me? Back when you told me you'd go to the death. And I told you that before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny that even you ever knew me. Why is it that a guy who, who encounters supernaturally a risen Christ is so easily persuaded to go back to his life? Can I just tell you, uh, I'm not here to give you that answer today. I'm here to confess to you and challenge all of us and say, how is it that we, we so quickly go back to that? After encountering a risen Savior, week to week, singing about his greatness, how is it after the life and the death and the rebirth resurrection of a God man that we can continue to just go back fishing, so to speak, whatever your fishing is? Um, some of your parents may have used the phrase. My dad used to say it. His dad used to say it. I heard him say it before he passed. Some of you remember this. We've got to have a come to, meet, uh, come to Jesus meeting. You ever heard that? So just a, maybe my dad just made it up. You ever heard that? We're going to have us a come to Jesus, son, right? Uh, it's the old way of saying um, when you come to Jesus, everything changes. And so now when we need to have a meeting where everything needs to change, it's got to be a pivotal change point. It's got to be a shift in life kind of meeting, family meeting, father to son meeting, etc. They would say, you, we're going to have a come to Jesus. I think the answer is, We've got to have the type of come to Jesus that Peter had come to Jesus here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that changes things for us. Here's my prayer uh, that one, two, all of us here today would have their 
come to Jesus moment that changes everything. Not that you need to quit your job for the foreign mission field, not that you need to sell everything that you have, all your earthly goods to follow him, but that you would if he only asked. That, that, would, be your, that would be your heart for this resurrected God-man. That that would be your heart. Oh, that you be not the center of your life, but that God be the center of your life. You know, it's uh, interesting. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Check me on this. Um, in the rest of Scripture, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing Peter fishing again. They, I, don't, I don't remember another story through Acts. I don't ever remember seeing Peter going back out on the boat. Now, he was a fisherman. And he fished for his food, his livelihood. Now, he fished, okay? I think he fished. I think he continued to go fishing. I think he continued to catch his food. He continued to probably make a living on that. I'm not saying the guy never fished. But I do think it's interesting that we never see him fishing again in Scripture. From that point on, everything changes for Peter. His focus changes. His life changes. He has that come-to-Jesus moment where now it, it, it finally clicks. He, he's seen Christ. He's seen Christ. He's encountered Christ. He's encountered Christ. He's proclaimed his, his confession for Christ. He said, I'm all, I'm all in God. I'm following you no matter what. He's seen, him, he's seen himself uh, be faithless. He's seen himself fall away. He's seen himself deny. And then he's, he's encountered resurrected Christ. He's encountered resurrected Christ. And then, and then he finally has that come to moment Jesus that something happened that God got a hold of his heart. He saw God for who he is. Perhaps finally, he not only knows in his mind that this is the Christ of the God. Peter, who do you say that I am? That it clicks for him that this is the Christ of God. And if he is the Christ of God, then he's here for a purpose and he's, he's got a plan. He's doing something. And it, it's worth everything else changing for focus, priorities, goals, aspirations, my own personal comfort, my own personal desires. All that now has to, has to fall around Christ being the center of life instead of me going back out here after today, singing for Jesus, going back to me being the priority, my life, my career, my job, my retirement plan, my 501, whatever it is. Is it 501, 401? I don't have one. That thing where you put money in. Not being about that being the center in the direction you're going and Jesus being an accoutrement to that. He being an aside. He being your Sunday deal. That he takes the place of everything else and everything else wraps itself around it. Sure, Peter went fishing again, but it's never again the focus of his life. Interesting. Look at the end here. End of chapter 21. 18, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter. This is how, this is how things wrap up for Peter. Part of his come to Jesus moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself, walk wherever you wished. You did it your way. It was about you. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. You see the shift in focus and priorities? He elevates this even a step further. 19 says that he said this signifying what kind of death would glorify God through Peter's life. 
This is a life or death kind of challenge, folks. Those who desire to hold on to their life and make it about me, in the end, Jesus says you, you forfeit the greatest gain ever. But for those who are willing to give up themselves as priority, let go, hand it over to God, let him run things, let him be the center. Everything else that you do and everything else that you think you are, it falls in, it falls in after that. For that guy, everything, everything changes if he is who he says he is, if he's done what he said he would do. He is and he has. How, how does verse 18 and 19 settle with you? Is that okay with you? Is that okay if your life ended like that? And I'll just go ahead and tell you, you're probably not going to be crucified upside down for being a friend of God's. For speaking in this world, the name of Jesus. That's not going to be you. Peter's not going to be you. But the part of us going our way, or we're going God's way, that he's going to direct the course of our life, or we're going to direct the course of our life, that is the challenge for all of us daily. Oh, that we would not so quickly slip back into a focus on ourselves. If Jesus be God, it changes everything. Peter goes on in the start of Acts. He does things that uh, in the Gospels you would never imagine Peter would do. He who is willing to lose his life, he'll be the one in the business of saving souls. You're holding on to it. This whole talk of evangelism, taking light into darkness, it's foreign to you. Let's pray.